And the rest of you, if you have a Bible with you, would you please open that to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is near the end of the New Testament, after Paul's letters, right before the letters of of James and Peter and John. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to focus this morning on just the first two verses, but I want to read the first three for a reason that I'll make clear. So please follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we give you thanks for this time that we have together, this time where we can give you our attention. This book is you speaking to us. These are your perfect words, and we want to hear from you this morning. And so I pray that you would come by your spirit and that you would teach us, that you would do in us what you intend to accomplish through your word, that you would do the same in the children's classes this morning. Father, be with us Be with those who are at home looking at their Bible there. God, God, accomplish your purposes in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I was leaving my house on Friday to come here and work on this sermon, my wife Kim said to me, do you know what the date is? And I did the mental math and said, it's the 13th. And she raised her eyebrows significantly and said, it's it's Friday the 13th. Do you know when the last Friday the 13th was? And I, I knew immediately because it was March. It was the weekend when everything shut down, and I thought, my goodness, we've been, we've been going through this for eight months. A, a little while back, Pastor Mike let me know that we'd be taking some time off in November, and he asked me to think about a three-week series we could do between the end of our key issue series in Genesis and Advent. And as I was praying about where we should be in the Bible, a word kept coming to my mind, a word that I I often regularly hear from people in this church as we're processing how we're experiencing the last eight months. It's a word that appears there in verse three. You may even be able to guess which word I'm thinking of. The word is weary. We're tired. Now, for some of us, that, that weariness is mainly physical. I'm thinking of you who are working in hospitals and your days are long and full. You never get to sit down. Or teachers who are having to reconfigure everything that you've done before and you feel like you're just barely keeping up. Or parents who are working from home and trying to care for kids who are doing school from home. You are understandably worn out. But there's also a weariness that goes beyond the physical. I think the second word at the end of verse 3 captures this idea, the word faint-hearted. It's not your body that feels worn out, it's your heart. You're tired in your soul, tired of everything being strange and more difficult than it used to be, tired of constantly making decisions and assessing risk, tired of not being able to be with people the way you used to, tired of not being able to talk to, to aging parents in person but through a window to protect them. 
And it's, it's not just the pandemic that wearies us. There's the normal stuff of life in a fallen world. There's hard seasons of marriage, hard seasons of parenting, looking for work for a long time, living in a slowly failing body. God has something to say to people who are weary. And he, he speaks to it all through the scriptures, but he speaks particularly to it here in Hebrews 12, where we're gonna be for the next three weeks. He says to weary people that there's another word they need in their vocabulary, another word to hold alongside weary, another word that describes a life that's possible, a life he enables for his people, and it's the word endurance. And it, it comes up again and again in this chapter. Look at verse one, the end of verse one. Let us run with endurance. Verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Verse three, consider him who endured. Verse seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure. We need endurance because we're in a race. He says in verse one that we need to run the race that is set before us. This race is not a sprint, it's a marathon. The crown isn't awarded to those who go the fastest, but to those who keep running, who endure to the end. What is the race? To see what he's talking about here, we need to pick up his thought a little bit earlier in Hebrews and get the context. So we need to look at chapter 10, verse 35. You can turn over there with me. Chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, he's quoting the prophet Habakkuk, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And then the writer goes into this famous Hebrews chapter 11, what we sometimes call the hall of faith, this recounting of all these men and women whose stories are recorded in the Old Testament, Abel and Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, and, and that leads right up to our passage at the beginning of chapter 12. So what's he saying here? He's saying here exactly what he'll say at the beginning of chapter 12, we have need of endurance. And he tells us what we have need of endurance for. He says in verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What's the race? It's doing the will of God. The race is, is obeying God all the way to the end and receiving the promised reward. He describes it slightly differently in, in verse 38. But my righteous one, he says, shall live by faith. So the race is doing the will of God by faith obeying him all the way to the end, trusting God enough that you live how he tells you to live. That's the race. And if you run it with endurance, if you don't give up, if you don't shrink back, you receive the reward, the crown, the prize, eternal life. What he, what he describes in chapter 10, verse 34, as a better possession. In chapter 11, verse 16, a better country. In chapter 11, verse 35, a better life. Those who are faithful to God all the way to the end enter into the life that is truly life. And those who quit the race don't get the prize. And this letter was written to Christians who are being tempted to quit the race. It was becoming more costly to be faithful to God. There was opposition. 
and persecution. They were tempted to turn back to their old life. And the author wrote to say to, say to them, don't throw away your confidence. Keep running. The danger of weariness, deep weariness, is that we will decide that following Jesus is not worth it. If it doesn't take away the hard things in life, if it brings new hard things into life, if people make fun of me for it, what's the point? And so we just, we just dial it down. We stop opening the Bible. We disappear from church. We don't think of it as turning back, maybe, but we just stop making any effort. But the Christian life is a race. It requires effort. There's struggle and opposition, and at the end, there's a prize. This passage is here in your Bible to put strength into weary hearts so we can run with endurance and cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Receive your reward. Every Christian here wants to finish well and get the prize. And in order to finish well, in order to endure, we need three things that we find in this passage. There's something we need to hear, something we need to lose, and something we need to look to. Something to hear, something to lose, something to look to. First, something to hear, the testimony of those who have already finished their race. The testimony of those who have already finished their race. Look at verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the, the writer wants the Christians reading this letter to imagine themselves surrounded by a great multitude of people. So in this image of the, the Christian life as a race, he wants you to imagine these crowded stands around the track full of people. Who, who are these people? Well, the key is seeing that first, the first word of verse one. It's the therefore. These people surrounding us, these people in this great cloud are the people he told us about in Hebrews chapter 11. These people who endured by faith. They have finished their race. They've taken their seats while we're still running. And he says that we should think of them as witnesses. Now with this picture, you might imagine that by witnesses, he means that they're, they're up in heaven witnessing us. They're looking down on us running our race. But that's not probably what he means. That's not the way this word is usually used in scripture. Usually witness in scripture is used in the same sense we use it when we think about a courtroom. In a, in a trial, a witness is someone who is called to testify. They're called to, to tell what they saw, to tell what they know. This great cloud of witnesses, they're not here to watch us. They're here to speak to us, to testify to what they learned in running their race. This is the idea in chapter 11, verse 4, where the writer says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel is a witness. He's one of this great cloud. Through his faith, he speaks. He says, I worshiped God. And even though my brother Cain killed me out of envy, God commended me as righteous. Living for God was worth it. Noah is here among these witnesses saying, God told me to do something that seemed ridiculous to everyone else, to build a boat to save my family from a flood when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. But God's words proved true, and when his judgment came, I was saved by my faith. Abraham and Sarah are here saying, we waited 25 years for a promised son, and God kept his promise. He kept every promise. God can be trusted. 
Rahab is here saying, I didn't grow up knowing God, and before I knew him, I sinned in every way imaginable, but he showed me mercy, and he made me part of his people. Trust him. David is here saying, I took another man's wife, and I had him killed, and God forgave me. He will forgive everyone who trusts in him. You can fall and still finish the race. If we're going to endure in our race, we need to hear the testimony of those who have finished theirs. God can be trusted. His promises are true. The race is worth what it costs you. Don't turn back. When I was 11 or 12 in middle school, a friend and I were out exploring the neighborhoods around our neighborhood. We were out on our bikes, and we found a path just kind of coming out between a couple of houses, and we had no idea where it went, so we just left our bikes, and we, we plunged in, and we, we walked. The path went on and on, and it forked here and forked there, and pretty soon we realized that we had found an unmarked entrance to this, this large nature preserve in our town, and now we had no idea where we were in it. We, we probably we didn't think we could find our way back, and we didn't know exactly what led it ahead, and, and it was so comforting to me to remind myself as we walked that we were on a path, We weren't in uncharted wilderness. We were walking where other people had walked. And if we kept walking, we would sooner or later come to a place where there would be a payphone. You remember payphones? And I could call my mom and have her come pick us up. Christian, you are walking a path. You are running a race that others have run and finished. And they are witnesses to us that the life of faith can be lived. God can be trusted. He promises to bring us safely home, and he does. Christians have persevered through pandemics. They have clung to Christ through cancer. They have come out on the other side of hard marriages, rebellious children. They have endured mocking of their faith and worse. God was faithful to them, and God will be faithful to us. That's the first thing we need. We need to hear the testimony of those who have already finished their race, something to hear, and secondly, something to lose. Everything that slows us down or trips us up. We need to lose everything that slows us down or trips us up. Look at verse one again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The writer says that we need to lay some things aside. A race is not a vacation. On vacation, you pack suitcase after suitcase. One suitcase for the parents, one suitcase for every child. You've got car seats and strollers, boosters, stuffed animals, pack and play. On vacation, you want to have your baggage, but not in a race. When I was in high school, I I ran cross country, um, and and on our cross country team, we had two sets of sweats, two sets of sweatsuits. One was like this old, ratty, they'd been worn for like 100 years, and we wore them just for practice. But we had some nicer sweats, they were like a track suit, that they were nice and clean, they made us look a little bit more professional, and those were just for, for meets on Saturday mornings. And, but there were times at the end of the season, at the end of the fall season, when it was so cold, we would be wearing both sets of sweats. We'd have the ratty sets under our nicer sweats. We'd have them on while we're walking the course or while we're warming up. But when we came to the finish line, there were no sweats to be seen because in a race, even if it's cold, you want every unnecessary weight off your body, everything that could slow you down or trip you up. And it's the same in this race. The the writer says there are two kinds of things 
that can, that can make it hard to endure in the race of living for God. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin, which is interesting because it means there are things in our lives that aren't sin, they aren't inherently bad, they're not in themselves bad, but we still need to lose them because they weigh us down. So what kinds of things can be weights in our spiritual life? Busyness can be a weight. It's not bad to be busy. It's good to be spending your strength on your work and your family and serving your spouse and serving your neighbors and caring for your parents. All those things are good. But there's a kind of busyness that crowds out the things that bring strength and energy to your race of faith. You can make yourself too busy to pray and read the Bible in an unhurried way. You can take a job that provides for your family, but it requires you being gone all the time and not being able to be involved in making disciples of your children. Or you can, you can so build your life around your children that all, with all their activities, you're not able to be present in the life of the church. Busyness is a weight. And distraction is a weight. Our economy is built on distracting you from real life. There are people right now thinking up new and better ways to get you to spend more of your time watching cable news and professional football, scrolling Facebook, watching Netflix, and playing video games. And none of those things are inherently bad, but all of them can become weights, which make it hard for you to, wait, to run the way God wants you to run. It's good to have ways to rest after a long day of faithful work, but these things have a way of becoming not just a way to rest, but a way of life. We use them to just kill time, and time is the very last thing we should be killing. So if these things are a weight in your life, if they're crowding out spiritual disciplines and family worship and real relationships with other Christians, you need to lay them aside. Take a week without social media, a week with, without television, a week without video games, and just see what kind of opportunities you've been missing. This might be a great way to make some time, some space in your life for read and enjoy, which is our Bible reading plan for 2021. Distraction is a weight. Even relationships can be a weight. You might be dating someone who isn't an out-and-out -out pagan, but being with them is not helping you walk with God. Or you might be the only one in your group of friends who's a Christian and you already know that if you're gonna run well, you're gonna need to make space in your life for friends who are going the same direction you are. We all need to identify weights in our lives we need to lose so we can run with endurance. But weights aren't the only danger. He says that we need to lay aside sin which clings so closely. We have an amazing capacity to convince ourselves that we can, we can walk with God well and keep little parts of our lives unchanged, which we know he doesn't like. You might know that you're not honoring God with your sexuality. You're doing things outside of marriage that belong in marriage, or you're looking at things on your phone that you shouldn't be looking at. Hebrews 12 says that sin clings so closely. You think you're holding on to it, but pretty soon it's holding on to you, and then you want to get free, and you feel like you can't. Earlier in this letter, the writer says that we need to encourage one another every day lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives us and says, I'm not a big deal. I don't lead to death. You can have me and live for God, no problem. And the more we listen to sin's deceitfulness, the more hardened our hearts become, the less likely we are to listen to our conscience or to scripture. We get tripped up and then we get sidelined from the race. Maybe you have a temper, which you rationalize as not a big deal because only your family sees it. 
Maybe you know that your relationship with money is unhealthy. You think about it all the time. It's really hard for you to give any away. Maybe you're withholding forgiveness from someone because you want them to hurt the way that they hurt you. You will not be able to hold on to those things and run with endurance. You need to lose them, to lay them aside. You may need to have some very honest conversations today, first with God, telling him that you need forgiveness and help, and then with anyone you've been wronging whose forgiveness you need, and then with a trusted brother or sister who can come alongside and help you run well. God is eager to forgive and powerful to change, and he wants you to turn from sin to him. So to run with endurance, we need to hear something, something to hear, there's something to lose, and finally, there's something to look at. Maybe better, someone to look to. The one who sustains your faith from beginning to end. We need to look to the one who sustains our faith from beginning to end. Verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The first two ways this passage helps us endure will do no good without this one. We can receive all the encouragement in the world, we can aspire to live differently, but we won't get far until we know that our ultimate hope for finishing the race is not in ourselves, but in Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter. He's the beginner and ender of our faith. This word translated here, founder, is sometimes translated pioneer. And we know what a pioneer right, is, right? It's, it's the first one to cross the frontier. He blazes the trail that others follow. In, in our, our history as Americans, the pioneers were the first ones to cross the Appalachians and then cross the Mississippi, cross the plains, cross the Rockies, follow the Columbia River all the way to the, out of the Pacific. They, they were the first ones to face the dangers. They found the passes through the mountains. They did the hard work that made it possible for others to follow. So what path has Jesus blazed for us? Verse two says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had a race to run to. It started in Bethlehem and it went through Calvary and all along the way he encountered misunderstanding and slander and rejection and ultimately a cross. He had need of endurance too. And the way he endured was he looked all the way down to the end of the track and he saw joy. The joy of returning triumphantly into the presence of his father having finished the work he was sent to do. The, the joy of bringing many sons and daughters to glory, of, of rescuing sinners and bringing them home to God. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. To him, the shame of the cross was of no value at all compared with the joy. And the trail he blazed, we can follow right into the presence of God. You'll see in verse two that it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And the word seated is important. Being seated means his work is done. He's not up and doing. He's finished his work. Look back at Hebrews chapter one and verse three. Go ahead and turn back there. This is what the, the author says. He says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen here. 
after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus' work was making purification for sins. All sin requires a death. Either the death of the one who sinned or the death of a sinless substitute, a sacrifice. Jesus made purification for sins by offering himself as the sacrifice for the sins of everyone who would trust in him. He took the punishment we deserved. He paid our debt and he paid it in full. The work is finished. He is sitting down now which means that everyone who trusts in him can know that at the end of their race, they will be welcomed into the presence of God. All of us fall short. Every one of us gets tripped up by sin. And we can wonder, is there a limit to the second chances God will give me? When I get to the end of the race, will I find the door shut? And the answer is no, because Jesus has made purification for sins. As often as we repent and seek forgiveness, we have it. Hebrews 6 verse 20 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Doesn't your soul need an anchor? A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, which is just a way of describing the presence of God, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus has gone into the presence of God, and because he is there, everyone who trusts in him is welcome there too. In our race, we have a joy set before us. If we run and do not quit, when we cross the finish line, we will be welcomed into the presence of God. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He has made the way. But he's more than just the pioneer of our faith. He's the perfecter. We should not imagine Jesus sitting down at the right hand of God, just watching passively as we run and struggle and stumble. Hebrews tells us that, that even though Jesus has finished his work of purification, he's, he has accomplished what he came to do on the cross, he continues his work of intercession. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now praying for Christians. He's praying for us. What's he praying for? Forgiveness, certainly. As often as we sin, Jesus presents his scars to his father and says, I died for that. Father, forgive, and God gladly forgives. But Jesus secures for us more than just forgiveness. Look back at Hebrews chapter four and verse 15. We, we saw this not that long ago as a church. Four, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does Jesus secure for us? Help in time of need. He secures everything we need to finish the race. There is no temptation he does not understand. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. When we look to him, and trust in him, he gives us mercy and grace to run with endurance. The strength we need when we're weary does not come from within us. It comes from him. He is the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus, we have all we need to follow Jesus to the end. Look to him. Crossway we have a race to run together. 
Are you running? Pace is less important than progress. Is it your intention to trust and obey Jesus, to live for God to the end? In this race, in our seasons of weariness, in 2020 and long beyond, we will need the encouragement of the scriptures, the people in here who have finished their races. We will need to help one another lay down the weights and the sin that hinders us, and we will need to continually point one another to Jesus who made the way and who sustains us every day as he will until the end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you seems too small a thing to say, but we say it with all our hearts. Thank you. Thank you for enduring the cross. Thank you for at no point deciding that, that rescuing us wasn't worth what it was costing you. Thank you for enduring to the end of your race, for bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Thank you that you have paid our debt and that you are now seated in the presence of God. Thank you that you, as our faithful high priest, you make us welcome with God, that we need not fear being turned away by him because you have made us acceptable, you have brought us home, and we know that when we cross our finish line that we will be welcomed with arms open. Jesus, we need help from you to look to you. There are so many places we are tempted to look in our weariness I pray that you would help us look to you to see what you have done, to see what you are doing, to see what you are for us, and to look in faith, to look in dependence, to look with perseverance. God, we want to look to your son, Jesus. Help us by your spirit, and help us to help one another to run all the way to the end. Give us grace. Thank you that we have it in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.